0: don't pretend to do it alone. Don't try to do it alone. Like really shore up your systems of support and your community to support. I think being so fractured and so divided in as much as we live in single family homes, we don't live in multi-generational housing. This is, you know, different depending on class and race and income and all different things. But the more that you can build your network and focus less on maximizing your, your top dollar, but more on maximizing your community. I think the further we can go collectively.
1: I believe that what we do as women in the privacy of our own minds is the single greatest determinant of our lives. I'm Emma Title, and you are listening to the Women Today podcast, where we are unpacking and investigating the new female psychology. I am a psychotherapist, coach, and teacher who is passionate about women's internal and external freedoms. You are in the right place if you wanna hear in-depth stories about women's lives. On this show, we dig deep into the minds and hearts of women to understand what it really takes to heal, to grow, and to experience psychological freedom so that we can create lives of authenticity, fulfillment, and contribution. This is a place to receive nourishment, inspiration, and guidance as we continue to show up for the complexity and nuance of our lives as women. I'm so glad that you're here, and let's get started with today's episode. Hey, and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Women Today podcast, and I am your host, Emma Tidal. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm so psyched to have you. And if you are a loyal listener, thank you so much for being here and for continuing to show up and listen to these amazing stories. And most importantly, for caring about your internal life as a woman, for caring about your growth and your development and your evolution as a human being and what's possible for your well-being, your fulfillment, your contribution to the world. It means so much, especially at a time like right now, And I just love having you here. So as always, I deeply appreciate your ratings and most importantly, your written reviews because they help other women across the globe to find this resource, to be able to access these stories and information that are so important to keep us inspired, to keep us nourished, to keep us motivated, and to keep us feeling most importantly, not alone in our lives as women. So recently, Jill wrote in, I'm always inspired by the content offered in this podcast and the intentional way Emma approaches it and guides the conversation. I have found this to be a consistently meaningful resource in my life, and I'm grateful to have found it. Thank you so much, Jill. And thank you so much to anybody who has written a review. And please, it just takes a moment over on Apple Podcasts. You can just leave a rating and a review at the bottom, and it really makes a huge difference. So thanks for taking the time. And today I am so, so, so excited, like basically giddy, to be introducing you all to Sarah K. Peck. She is somebody who I have been listening to for years. She has a podcast called The Startup Parent. It was formerly Startup Pregnant. And she is an author, a startup advisor, a yoga teacher, and she is based in New York City. She's the founder and executive director of Startup Parent a media company documenting untold stories of what it looks like to be a woman in leadership, life, and work. The Startup Parent Podcast shares long-form stories of parenting, business, entrepreneurship, and growth. Sarah's writing and business projects have been featured in over 75 different publications, including the New York Times, Fast Company, the Huffington Post, Fast Company, and 99U, Psychology Today, Lifehacker, Thought Catalog, and more. She travels internationally to speak and has spoken at Berkeley, the University of Pennsylvania, Harvard Design School, the University of Virginia, the World Domination Summit, Alive in Berlin, Craft and Commerce, Year of the X, the Pakistani Emerging Leaders Council, and more. Sarah is a wife. She is a mother to two young boys, and she is just an all-around amazing human. In this conversation, we cover the gamut. We talk about the real truth about how she's doing since The pandemic set in over a year ago. We talk about the realities of burnout. We talk about parenting. We talk about business and entrepreneurship. We talk about life design and systems. Sarah is a beautiful human being. She is a wealth of knowledge and information. She is a huge reader. This woman can read. Let me tell you, I've got some big inspiration on the book front coming from this woman. And we just, I could have talked to her all day. We kept going and There's so many golden nuggets in this interview. I've been listening to it and re-listening to it. And I think you're going to get a lot from it. So if you're parenting, you're definitely going to get a lot from it. If you're a business owner, you're definitely going to get a lot from it. But even those of us who don't fit in those categories, you're going to get a lot from it because Sarah thinks about life holistically in such a beautiful way. And I just know that you're going to get a lot of inspiration from this conversation. All right, enjoy. And I look forward to connecting next week. Sarah, welcome to Women Today. I'm so incredibly happy to have you here. Oh,
0: I'm so excited you asked me to join. I love, love, love um, getting to talk to people who are talking to women and doing podcasting. So thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I've been super excited to have you on the show. And I'm just such a huge fan of your work and your podcast and what you're putting out there. So it feels like a really exciting moment for me.
0: Wow. Oh, yay. Well, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, listeners got to hear your more formal bio and introduction, but I'm wondering if you could just start off by introducing yourself in your own words and letting us know what you're up to in the world right now. Yeah.
0: So um, I go by Sarah Kay. Peck. I put the K in the middle because when I when I was trying to find my website URL, um, there were 543 Sarah Pecks in the United States. And I realized that my name needed a little more definition. So my name's Sarah Peck and I currently run a company for working parents. It's called Startup Parent. And um, I've been doing it for four years, but I've been in uh, online business on and off for more than 10 years Since 2013 um, was the official launch, but before that I was selling courses and other things on the side. And I mean, boy, oh boy, has it been a ride. I can tell you the good stuff uh, and give you my fancy bio and you can see all my fancy websites. And I also say that we're in the middle of a pandemic and we are making it through. Like there are some days that just feel like one foot in front of the other but I'm so thankful that I still have a company, that I still get to do some things. I mean, this year has been such a such a wild roller coaster that it just even waking up and being like, I have children and a business. What do I do? And who hasn't slept? That's kind of where it feels like we are.
1: Oh, totally. And I so deeply appreciate your honesty right off the bat. It's so refreshing and I think so many of us are in the same boat, you know, whether we run businesses or we work for someone else, or we're primarily at home with children. It's just, we've all been through the ringer in different ways this year. So I love your podcast and your business, and I'm just so glad that you're here and still able to do the good work that you're doing.
0: Thanks. I feel like, I feel like it's like, okay, one more, like get one more episode out. Okay. Are you six weeks behind on the schedule that you created arbitrarily before the pandemic hit? Or are you six months behind? And I just have to throw it away and start again and be like, we are in a new world. I have children at home um, that I love dearly, but would like to not have them at home, right? I would like someone else to take them. So for eight months of last year, we we had children at home and I really had to rethink and rebuild almost everything and then really not feel the despair that comes along with like, oh, I really wanted to, do this project. I really wanted to make these things and it's not working and it's not happening. But at the same time, I'm really grateful because for some reason my business is doing well, but it doesn't feel that way internally. And so I'm trying to find the right way to have this conversation of like, Hey, working parents aren't okay. And also people in general, like no one can go through the last year and be, I think lickety slickety fine. I think everyone's being just like you said, um, affected in so many different ways. And it's been a really tough year and I'm grateful to have a business. And I'm also, I'm tired. I'm not going to lie about that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's where we are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Are the kids back in care
0: now? They are, okay. thankfully. Oh, thank goodness! Um, I have a five-year-old and a two and a half-year-old, and they were home from March until the end of August last year, and then they are out again for another six weeks over the winter holiday. They went back January eleventh, twenty twenty-one, and then we had a series of snow days where I thought I was going to lose it. Like when they were like, "School is closed today," I was like, "I really," I was like, "Someone has to take them. Like I can't do that again." And it was at that point when I realized, "Oh, I think." I think this is like something, I don't feel like myself and both my husband and I are in therapy and we talk about this a lot. And I think there's some residual, like, I'm not a therapist. I can't diagnose. But something like PTSD-like that has ha- happened to many folks, and I can see it in myself because I'm getting angry at things that I don't normally get angry at, and I'm crying a lot more. And I'm like, "Wow, okay, this has been tough." And I have been steady through most of the year. I've been like, "We can do this." I usually have a great attitude. I've been through a lot of hard things in my life, um, and yet I don't know. Fifteen months of this with the unpredictability and the volatility of it, and there were a couple of days, especially in the the winter of 2021, where I was like. I need someone to take my children. But if I write that on Twitter, someone will send child protective services to my house. And that's not actually what I mean. Like, I just, I like, we need help. And I feel like I'm drowning. And I'm back to feeling like I'm doing okay. But I, I think it's been a, a real challenge for a lot of people, myself included.
1: Totally. And I, I think there's so much to what you're saying. And one thing that I've been observing is how, even though things are sort of creeping back to some semblance of normal now, there is a huge residual effect that that some of us, like we don't even realize how much we've been through. And so that moment that you're describing of, you know, the snow day being like the straw that broke the camel's back after everything is so representative, I think, of the load and the weight that we've all been carrying, but especially parents and especially mothers and working mothers. So are you getting a chance to kind of like restore and replenish, get your bearings at all right now? We're looking at it. So
0: my general rule of thumb with postpartum, because I've been through the postpartum period twice. So we entered the pandemic and I had a one and a half year old. So I was just coming out of the postpartum period with a young one. And then we went right back into kind of wild chaos. And I've also been through burnout in various times in my career. So when I was in college, um, I was an NCAA athlete. I was a varsity swimmer. And wow. I had one <laughs> thanks. I had one year where I got the flu, then bronchitis, then another disease, and another one. Then I fell down a flight of stairs. I broke my foot. Like it was just not my year. <laughs> I lost 12 pounds. I was just like really like not doing great that year. And I I toughed it out. And I, I, so I swam um, the NCAA championships with a broken foot and like the mental fortitude and the toughness. I know what it's like to be in different moments where I'm like, I like, we're going to get through this. But then once season was over, I shut down, like my body really had to decompress and heal. And what I've learned from different experiences and also my background in psychology is that For me, a rule of thumb is it takes about half as much time as the time period was. So if the pandemic is a year and a half, I'm like, okay, it's going to take me nine months before I feel really, truly better. And it's just going to be nine months of things like walking outside. Talking to friends, seeing people in person, going to yoga, swimming in a pool, soaking in some sunshine, just like steady things, none of which is like, it's not like a, and this is the thing that made me feel better. But the pattern of it and then doing, doing therapy, right? Talking to a therapist about what the trauma was like, What honestly, whatever it takes whether it's tapping, whether it's meditation, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's um, breath work, therapy, medication, whatever it is to help, I am such a fan of finding the tools that are the right fit for you and then and then using them, right? Using them, journaling, all of it. I would like, give me all the tools. I will try all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you for speaking to that because I feel like it it just gives so much permission. And for anyone out there who is also in burnout, overwhelm, you know, feeling like, oh, we should be happier, things should be feeling better, but you're slogging through, which is a lot of people right now. I just want to highlight what you're saying, Sarah, that like it takes time and it's not a one and done kind of deal when when we've endured something really hard for a long time, the recovery can take a long time. And I love this, this, uh, you know, lived wisdom of like maybe even half the time of what it was that we lived through.
0: And that's right. Yeah. Like if somebody, I work with so many parents, right? So many pregnant entrepreneurs, so many women who give birth. And the recovery period for birth is, depending on who you talk to, most cultures and traditions at least do 40 days which is about another trimester. So it's a third of the time of pregnancy to help uh, at least do the immediate healing from giving birth. But there are many folks who say you're not really ready to even give birth to another baby for 18 months. So if you're pregnant for nine months, it's about nine and a half months, then it's another 18 months for your body to fully really recuperate from it. And there are so many parents that I work with that want to be back at work at three months and normal and ready in their old cells and, Even the cruelty that we, you know, put upon mothers, it's like, why don't you have your body back yet? And it's like, excuse me, hold on, like, wait, please, this is going to take some time. And it's not your calendar that I need to align myself to, nor do I need to uh, mold my body into your vision of what it should be. But aside from that, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it takes some time. And so I'll work with parents who are at the seven month, eight month, 10 month mark. And they'll say like, oh, I just, I want to set these goals and I want my business to hit these milestones. And, and I'll ask them, is your baby sleeping through the night? And they're like, oh, not yet. And I'm like, okay, well, it is perfectly reasonable as a business goal. If you are your business's primary asset for your goal to be to get sleep and for that to be a goal for a quarter or a half of a year. Like the next six months, maybe your primary goal is just, hey, I'm going to try to sleep in once a a week. And I'm not going to set my big ambitious goal until I have had a quarter of sleep because my brain will be working better and my body will be healing and I'll be in a place where I'm able to take it on.
1: Oh, Oh my God. I feel so much relief and like hallelujah with this. And I hope people are catching this because the way that we torture ourselves and set goals that we're doomed, you know, like we just can't meet them if we're not sleeping or our health isn't stable. It's amazing the kinds of pressure we put onto ourselves and, and just that acceptance that things take longer than we often want them to.
0: Yes. And paradoxically, that's actually the faster way to get there. Like if you try to push and if you try to stay up all night, it's a short-term solution, but it's not a long-term strategy. You will burn out, you will break something, you will get sick and you will, your body will give you the sleep that it needs, but it'll be much less productive and much more reactive than if you are able to set out and be like, okay, what are my core work projects right now? Like, what's the one thing I do? And what's the least of it that I can do right now? If I have this type of client business and I normally have a client load of 20 to 25, could I get by with 10? could I do 10 clients for six months? And if it causes some internal consternation or panic, you're like, oh no, I won't hit my revenue goals. Then you say, are these revenue baselines or are they goals? And what's your spaghetti number? Like where you can, your family can still eat spaghetti and you're going to be okay. Right. And then do it a little higher. So you have some buffer. And then maybe what are your 10 clients that, would give you a raise where you say, hey, my packages are normally 10K. They've bumped up in price. They're going to be 12K going forward. Or my packages are still 10K, but it's half as much time, right? That you reduce the scope. So it doesn't look like you're giving a raise and or changing your prices. This is where I think like setting lower goals is actually very important because then we're able to be in it for the
1: long term. Mm. I love this. It's so yeah it, there's just so much wisdom in it, and also permission again that like we don't have to do things when big things change in our life or we go through big experiences, we don't have to just keep going the way things have always been done. We can actually change and adapt and be kind to ourselves there,
0: yes, you just said one of our core values, which I love <laughs> um that's one of the like the key pieces when i when I started startup parent, the idea. We don't have to do things the way they've always been done. I've got it printed on mugs and T-shirts. I just want to step back and be like, okay, is achieving growth for growth's sake helping me? Like, is it my goal? Like, is it really your goal to have the biggest business in the whole wide world? And if so, why? What is that going to do for you? Like, what is it that that specifically gets you? Or is it just a stand-in for a goal because we haven't gotten the clarity yet of what we actually want? And so we're looking around to our left and our right and we're looking at other people and we think, oh, well, they're growing fast and they're going fast and it's competitive and I might fall behind and so I should just try to grow as fast as possible. That's fine if that's your goal, if it's in your heart and it sings to you and you know why you're doing it and there's a reason. But if you're like, oh, I don't actually know why I'm doing this. Then it's great to take a step back and say, okay, we don't, Sarah says, but also I can believe we don't have to do things the way they've always been done. What would it look like to do this a little bit differently? How could this be easier? How could this be more pleasurable? How could this align with what I really want? Maybe what I really want is to stop working at four every day. Maybe what I want is a smaller house, but a bigger backyard. Maybe what I really want is to be close to my friends, but whatever it is, defining it can help us.
1: Mm, I love this so much, Sarah. And how do you recommend that people go about really getting in touch with their true wants, desires, and values? Because I know for me personally, especially in the age of social, it's like we are getting programmed and exposed all day long to other people's wants, desires, or other companies' wants, desires for our consumer behavior. So it's like, where do we start if, if things aren't working, or we need know there's a change, but we don't know what it is we actually want to move toward.
0: Yeah, this is hard. I think um, I I used to teach a course about getting what you want, and in the beginning, the way that I teach it is so we've got two things to do in our life. One of them is figuring it out. What do we want? And the other one is going after it. And they're both hard, and they're hard for different reasons. And so if you know what you want, congratulations. Like, you've done half of the hard work. You've gotten really clear on what you want. But if you don't, then that's your next job, is to figure it out. And how that will look for each person is different, because getting to know yourself can take some time. And I think that a lot of people have been led astray or taken away from their own internal voice. Whether it's from uh, school systems or maybe caretakers or parents that weren't that attentive or they had their own trauma or stress or a world that's full of hustle culture, whatever it is, people can wake up at 17, 23, 38, 52, whatever age and just be like, Wow, this isn't as crack like this isn't as great as I thought it would be. I'm not satisfied. I feel slightly discontent, and I don't really know where I want to go so self examination I would start by journaling and ask yourself what what do I think I want and just write a big list, write a big long list., oh, you know what I want a boat, I want a dream house, I want you know my house to have this much space in it. I want to take singing lessons, like whatever it is, just make a big long list and then ask yourself, what do those things have in common? And then as you start to look at it, maybe circle the ones that stand out and cross up ones that you're like, yeah, I can live without a boat, right? I don't really need a boat. That sounds nice, but I think that's someone else's dream. What I do in the course is I ask people to evaluate each one and say, is this my dream or is this someone else's dream? And then, and you feel into your body. So close your eyes and think about it. Like, is this really my dream or is this like Aunt Susie's dream? Is this, you know, Uncle Benny's dream? Whose dream is this? Is this mine? Oh yeah, this one's really mine. From there, there's an exercise called the five whys and ask yourself, why do I want this? What would having this do for me? And then get more specific which is, okay, but what exactly do I get from this? Like, why is having a house really valuable to me? What is it What is it behind this? Like, what is the real reason behind this? So let's say, oh, you know what I really want? $300. And you're like, okay, $300 more per month. Got it. Let's, you know, I'm a genie. I can grant that wish. What will having $300 a month do for you? Well, then I can hire a personal trainer. Rad. That's great. What will having a personal trainer do for you? Well, I'll get into more shape and I'll feel better about myself. Amazing. I'm on board for all of these goals. What will getting into better shape and feeling stronger do for you? Well, maybe uh, then I'll feel better about myself. And also, maybe I can leave my job. Oh, why do you want to leave your job? Well, my boss is really kind of a jerk, and I'm depressed and lonely all the time, and I want to become a personal trainer. So you just to start to see all the stories that are happening and pull them apart and be like, interesting. Okay one of the things you want is to leave your job. And one of the things you're curious about is personal training and you want to explore that. And that's where you begin. You begin with exploration and self-discovery.
1: I love that. And I do a very similar exercise with my clients and just listening to you go through it is why I love it so much because it reveals this thing that's underneath the carrots. You know what I mean? That's like our, (laughs) our mind can do these things like Oh, I'm, cause we're wired that way. I'm unhappy with this and I want that. But then when we do that deeper questioning, it actually reveals like a more core struggle or friction that we're dealing with. And then we can get closer to it.
0: That's right. That's right. I think there's a lot of different exercises you can do. And I would encourage an, a mindset of experimentation, like try yeah. it and see, right? Right. What's it going to be? You know, have you ever done morning pages before? No? Okay, try it. Just try it for three weeks. See how it goes. Give everything a good solid try. And if you're in one of those places where you feel really stuck and you don't know, I like to divide up the year either into 12 or 24 and you have 12 chances to try something or 24 chances to try something. And pick 24 experiments and give yourself a year to explore and take notes and see how it goes.
1: I love that, and I love that about you. I know you talk about a lot of your experiments on your podcast, and yeah, and I feel like so much of what we're talking about is baked in to startup parent. And I'm wondering if you can, you know, just rewind a little bit and tell us about how you came up with the idea to start this business, and you know, where did the idea come from, and where has it led you in your own life?
0: Oh, that's a good question. So I think I think sometimes. It's so sexy to see like, oh, and then I had this idea and I started the business and it was so successful. And that was, and that was that so yes. story, start, finish, end, uh, or beginning, middle, end. and for me, it, that was not the case at all. I, so I have a background in psychology, that's my undergrad degree, and then I got a graduate degree in landscape architecture and urban planning and looking at the design of built environments and the effect of built environments on behavior. So studying how people oh, cool. work. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, it was really fun. It was like how people work and then also how much who we are is influenced by where we are. Like if you go into an office, you will see a lot of office behavior. Like you probably won't see much opera singing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, like if you go into a drugstore at the uh, checkout aisle, you will see toddlers asking for candy, right? Like you you can predict a range of behaviors based on environments. And from that, I learned a lot about how to design your environment and put yourself in environments where success is more likely or the behaviors of who you are are more likely. That is a far cry. I mean, I guess I'm doing similar things now, but I worked in landscape architecture for five years. And then I started writing on my blog about human behavior and habits and also what I was reading. And it was a bit of a messy blog. And the writing, I don't think, was that great in the beginning, but it was good enough. And I wrote uh, 400 essays over the course of five or six years. And then people started asking me, how are you writing on a blog? What, you know, what did you learn? How did you do it? And I started teaching writing workshops to people and I charged $400 for each round of the writing workshop and got people in my workshops and was slowly building an email list, emphasis on slowly. I had a hundred people on my email list the first time I sold my writing workshops. So it just took, you know, it, it grew very steadily. There's no rocket ship growth so far in my life that I know of. Um, And from there, I actually like, this is, it's not a straightforward path. I went back to, I went into a company again. I started working for a tech company in, in downtown Manhattan. Then I got pregnant while I was there. And I was like, whoa, being pregnant, working at a tech startup is really intense. I pitched a book proposal to an agency and I thought, I thought I would be writing a book called Startup Pregnant, about working at a startup while pregnant. But in the course of writing five drafts, and each draft was like 20,000 words of a book proposal that never went anywhere. I will say there's no book, like spoiler alert, still no book. Um, I, I, one of the key findings was I've got to talk to more women and I've got to interview more entrepreneurs. And I started recording interviews with entrepreneurs just using like a cell phone and a tape deck and, you know, not a great audio quality. And after 30 interviews, I realized that they were so amazing. A little light bulb went off, not a big one, just to kind of like, I, I have a tiny newborn and I'm not getting paid very much because I left my job to write a book and I need to figure out something. Why don't I make this into a podcast? And that's what started the startup parent podcast, which is still in existence today. And then I started creating groups for women to come together and business owners to meet each other who are also navigating parenting. And then I looked at my husband and I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to have to pay some taxes because this is working. Like this is a business. And I've accidentally started a business that I thought was a book that I then did private interviews that then became a podcast that then became a business. So no major aha, but more like an evolution of trying things out. And then pivot, not pivoting because pivoting would imply that I had a better intent. Like I was like really headed in one strong direction. It was more like maybe tacking and sailing and responding <laughs> to the environmental conditions and being like, Oh wow. I really like the podcasting format. Okay. Oh, I've got this opportunity. And now I finally, I'm four years into startup parents journey. And I feel like, like I don't have a Todd, like I don't have a one and a half year old that's going to hit itself on a bunch of table corners, I have like a three-year-old that can confidently walk into a room and tell you that it needs a diaper change. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, like I've got, I've
0: got a, I've got a toddler, like I've almost got a preschooler of a business.
1: Oh my God. I love the metaphors. And my husband is an entrepreneur as well. So we have a lot of conversations about the age <laughs> and the developmental stage <laughs> of the business. And it, I still so get it, it's like, yeah, I mean, they really have a life of their own. They have a trajectory of their own, just like human babies. And, you know, and there is this progression where it's like so hard to get off the ground. But then once you do, it starts to have its own momentum and stability. That's really a relief.
0: That's right. That's right. And and the thing that really surprised, so I look for repetition. So re- it's not just results, but repeatable results. Mm, love that. Thanks. That we've done the the mastermind circles. It's called the Wise Women's Council, and we bring women entrepreneurs and leaders together. And the first year we had six people. The second year we did eighteen. The third year we did twenty eight. That was twenty twenty, um, and that was an intense year. And then this year I was like, we'll just hold the course. Let's get another twenty eight people in. Let's do the same thing, and see if we can just repeat our results. We had forty people sign up this year. Wow. And I was like, okay, but I don't know if that's an outlier. Is that because everyone is trapped in their homes? Yes. (laughs) Like, are they all just desperate for connectivity? So I'm still, I'm still asking the question of, will this be repeatable in 2022, 2023? I mean, all evidence points to overwhelmingly, yes, like the feedback I'm getting is really wonderful, but I still have that, like, don't count your chickens before they hatch, like just keep putting one foot in front of the other and trying to grow this thing.
1: I love that. And, and it feels like such a an appropriately humble and wise approach where it's like, I mean, just as in life, in business, there are no guarantees and, and we don't know. All we can do is show up, do our best, given our circumstances and see what the, you know, the relationship between us and the world, us and our customers creates. We're not in full command of it. No, that's
0: right. There's no, there's no world in which it's like, and I had an idea and then they just bought it. Like it's so so much more complex than that. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the things as a business owner is we are so, we have, basically two products, maybe three, because we have podcast sponsorships, which was our first platform. Then we had the Wise Women's Council, which is a paid private community, um, kind of a higher end product. And then the third one is our mini books. So I've written a series of short books to help parents, but because we're still so nascent, so new, those mini books are priced at five to $8. And even if you sell like, 100 copies it's still not a tremendous amount for a business owner right that's $500 that doesn't stretch out over the whole year plus the cost of the book so while we have sold a number of copies of those selling books is not yet a sustainable business model it isn't actually a sustainable business model for most people even successful book writers that i know who sell a couple thousand copies every year are still say I still have my day job. I still have to do other things. And it's like, it's like a bonus I get. It's like a, you know, they get five to $10,000 in, um, what is it called? Residuals. Um, yeah, they get, they get some cash from the books, but it's not to get the volume play of eBooks is, is a really, uh, you need a lot of people paying attention to you and it, it does take quite a lot of success.
1: Yeah. Thank you for just kind of pulling back the curtain on that and being real about it. Because I think for so many of us, whether we're business owners or just out in the world, we have this glamour, this idealization of what it is to be a published author, to sell books. And it's, I think for those of us who are writers, it's important to realize you know, we write because we're compelled to write because it's a medium where we want to express ourselves or we feel we have to express ourselves. It's not necessarily always the most lucrative part of a business. So I think it's good to be real about that. And I just want to put a major plug in for your mini book, Sarah, because <laughs> seriously, anybody out there, like your podcast, your mini books, the way that your brain works and how you look for repeatable patterns, how you read, how you research, you like hands down saved my life when it came to potty training. So you know if you're if you're pregnant, if you want support, like there you just have so much good stuff that you have curated and coalesced. So I love your mini books. I love hearing that
0: so much the pot was that from the podcast episode, the potty training? Yes, that was from the podcast. <laughs> just for people listening. I full disclosure. My friend texted me um, and she was, she said, I'm potty training, help, I don't remember this. And I was like, I can try to tell you what I know. And I sent her a bunch of voice notes. And then I I was so behind in my podcast queue. I, I just downloaded those voice notes and I threw them into the podcast. And I was like, hey, if anyone else is potty training, this was not recorded as a podcast. This is just me like scrambling to tell my friend what to do. I, it was a short episode too. I think it was like 15 or 20 minutes. I don't think it was that It was long. so helpful
1: though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad. Um, yes. Okay, good. Yeah. See, things yeah. do not have to be done the way they've always been done. Oh
0: God, it's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So the mini books. Thanks. I uh, Thanks for the plug. I What I'm trying to do is most is break the format of a book a little bit. So most books are... 60,000, 80,000, sometimes 100,000 words. And it's like, you know, you feel it. It feels like a heavy business card. And it's kind of like, oh, thunk. you know, you put it on. You have to do all this work. Oh, I have to read it. And someone comes up to you and they're like, I read your whole book. And I'm like, listen, that's not, I don't need you to sigh. I would like you to be like, yo, I finished it in 10 minutes and I got exactly what I needed. Like so many books have so much fluff in them. And I will write long books, but I also only have like a partial brain. Because see, two children, two pregnancies, and a pandemic, right? Part of me just also doesn't have the bandwidth right now. So I said, what if I wrote these little books that are about 10,000 words? And for those of you who are not writers as a profession, if you read something on an article on the web, it's most likely t- about a about 1,000 words. So most op-eds, most editorials are between 800 and 1,200 words. A super long blog post is going to be three to 5,000 words. So this is like double a super long blog post. This is like one of those medium articles that you're like I'm still scrolling. Like why does it say 21 minutes, you know? So yes. it's it's not it's not a book book It's like two chapters max and it's long enough to go into depth on a specific topic. Like sometimes I just want somebody's copious notes on like potty training, but also on, you know, what did this book say and what was useful for you? I don't need to read the whole book. I just want the, like your three page summary. That's what I try to do in these mini books.
1: I love it. And it's like so mother friendly because that is the (laughs) the reality of our lives. Like we want to read things, but the amount of time we have is so shrunken, you know? That's right. Okay, so so I understand you wrote a book called Do Half while we're talking about books. Can you tell us what it's about and kind of the main core message?
0: Yeah, of course. So I wrote this book after I had my first kid and I realized that pushing through and trying to do it all was a, either a lie that society was um, inflicting on me or just a fool's errand because there's no way you can't take on the, the 90 hour a week job of parenting, and then also try to keep working 40, 50, 60 hours a week at your job, and then have any hope at sleep. Because last I checked, a week has 168 hours in it. And I just, like, I need some of those to be sleep time. So I had to figure out a way to streamline my business so that I could stay well, and I could stay focused. Um, But everything I was reading, it was like, here are your tips and tricks on being more productive. I have two tips for you. I have two hacks. I have more hacks. I have more ways that you can be efficient. And honestly, I work from 5am until 10pm every day. And I'm very efficient. And there's no more efficiency. Like that's not the problem that I have. The problem I have is I need to do less. And I need to be brutally honest about what do I do less of. So what I do, and I do a talk on this as well. I just did one yesterday. I just did a, a, a group of entrepreneurs. I gave them a presentation called Do Half. And I walk people through not just do half, like you could not read the book and go away and be like, I get it, do half. Got it, Sarah. Like, I want you to remember the concept of like, we're going to take our to-do list and we're going to cut it in half. But at, what I walk people through of what I write about is the philosophy of why decision-making is so painful and why we avoid it. And why it's easier to try to stack a whole bunch on your plate, and why productivity is not strategy. People Mm.
1: mistake. Say say that again. I need to take that in.
0: (laughs) So, strategy is about focus and decision making, being strategic is about doing the right things, being productive is about being efficient and trying to do things faster or better. But if you're doing the wrong things, there's no productivity hack that will help. You need strategy before you need productivity.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And this is, I'm just thinking like parenthood, work, if you're an entrepreneur, like anything, your own health, you need strategy before productivity.
0: A hundred percent. And stepping back and saying, okay, how much time do I have? Where does it come from? What does my ideal year look like? So in the book, I walk people through a time map exercise. It's only three questions. It's how many hours do you have in a week for real? Not 40. It's not 40. How many hours do you have in a week for real? And then how many weeks would you work in your ideal year? If you actually took into account real sick days, real vacation days, real flex days, and then anything else that comes up the travel, et cetera. And when I did that exercise, I realized I only have 26 hours a week to work and I only have 40 weeks per year that I can truly work. And so I only have about a thousand hours per year that I have to focus on my work. And I would have told you that I had like 2000 hours. Yeah. I said, oh, so everywhere I'm going, I'm running into, I have half as many hours as I think I do, no matter I feel so stressed or or no wonder I feel so stressed. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I looked at my whole list. I made a big list, and I was like, "Oh, what are all the things I'm doing?" I said, "I'm running this mastermind. I have this podcast." And I said, "Just estimate how many hours it takes." And I was trying to get 63 hours of work done every week, and 26 mm. hours. And I said, "Well, that right there is a problem." Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. I just my 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 uh, desire
1: and the reality were not aligned. Okay. So what happened for you? when you got more in touch with the reality? How did things start to change?
0: The question I asked myself next was, if I could only do one thing, what would it be? If I could only do one of all of these things. And I started to line things up like chess pieces instead of trying to do it all exactly right now. Which means I said, okay, if I could only do one thing right now and I could save something for later, what would I do first? And I said, the podcast. I would stick to the podcast and I wouldn't work on the blog yet and I wouldn't work on my mini books yet. And if you look at the career, the history of the four years of Startup Parent, I did the podcast for two years. Then I took a three month break and that's when I wrote the mini books, two of them. And I stopped the podcast because I couldn't do it all at once. And then once those were done and written, I went back to podcasting and then I took another three month break to focus on the next small project. And so sometimes people look at me and they say, oh, I can't believe you did all of this. And I said, well, I definitely didn't do it all at the same time. Like I stacked it.
1: Oh, I'm I'm having like electric bulb, like just buzzing going off. And I really want to emphasize this to the listener. First of all, thank you for saying I couldn't do it all at the same time because how pervasive is that message? How toxic is that weight on women's shoulders, right? That we should be able to do it all at the same time in our lives, in our work, in our personal lives. And, and our parenting. So you couldn't, you didn't do it all at the same time. Instead, you used strategy to decide what you were going to do when. And it's like you toggled back and forth in different phases, if I'm hearing right.
0: That's right. And you can also wholesale cut things. So I have worked with people and I've interviewed people who have decided, you know what, I'm only going to be on one social network or I'm going to skip social media entirely. Mm-hmm. In my business I do primarily podcast and email marketing. I don't try to get the most Twitter followers or the most Instagram followers and I'm actively cutting those out of my life right now.
1: Yes, me yeah. too. <laughs> do them
0: all. Like yes. you know, I think I think fully embracing, listen, I can't do it all. I'm proud of that. I'm going to do one or two things well. The paradox is that if you focus on one or two things well, that's a strategy. You can get further with one or those one or two things. But if you try to write a book, run a business, have kids, be the queen of social media across TikTok and this, and do content marketing and SEO, but also have a podcast, but do this, you're not going to, it's not going to work. And sleep
1: and have healthy relationships and feel good about your parenting <laughs> and, and, and. <laughs>
0: It won't work. You'll do all of them halfway. And I think for me, one of the kind of aha moments was I also had like six book ideas. And I said, if I write half of six books and I never publish a book, I will be so unhappy. I need to actually do one and finish it and then work on the next
1: one. I love it. I love it so much. And Sarah, here's where my curiosity is how does your feeling about yourself change? when you do this major distillation process, like choosing the one or two things?
0: You know, honestly, it's it's briefly painful and then subsequently amazing. So one of the, I don't know if this will blow listeners' minds or not, but, but one of the things that I really geeked out on was looking at the um, why decisions are so hard, like it's mm-hmm. something we really struggle with. And if you look at the Latin root of the word decision, the, the seed, um, it's like ca- cadere. I don't know how to say it exactly, but C-A-E-D-E-R-E. That word means to cut. It means to cut, to excise. Other definition what's the word? The source representations. It also means to slaughter or to kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And, so, and that's the root of, the, uh, of cesarean, incision, scissors, and decide. All of that has the same CI root. And that means to cut off or to kill. And so a decision is to eliminate an option. It is to kill the other part. It is to pick between two things. And there is pain associated with that. And a lot of people try to avoid pain. And the decision, making the decision is the painful part. But once you have made the decision, there is freedom because you have decided. And so many of us know deep down I don't really want to work with that person, but we drag it out because we're afraid of the short-term pain or the social consequences. And so we don't decide. And instead we keep everything on our plates and then we suffer for the long-term.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I have chills. It's. I mean, this is, I love your articulation of why we postpone or kick, you know, kick off decisions. And then it actually takes a huge amount of our energy for a lot longer period of a time.
0: It's like, it's been a while since I've been in the dating world and I wasn't that great at it to begin with, but it's like, if you have gone on a couple of dates with somebody and instead of being honest and clear, you kind of drag it on and they message you and then you kind of lead them on and you string them along. You're like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe on Friday. Oh, I can't today, but maybe another time. But in your heart, you're like, no, I don't actually like this person. I know that it's not working. And if you just said, hey, that was a great date. Thanks so much. I'm going to go a different direction. I wish you all the best. You feel kind of free afterwards. You don't feel that like residual, Ugh, I shouldn't, I should respond to that. I should say, something. I haven't responded. Like there's so much mental tax from not making a decision. The residual effects, like that is the thing that makes me feel so icky. And if I'm clear, and I'm honest and I'm kind, not mean, if I'm clear and I make it not personal, but I say, hey, thank you so much for this proposal. You seem like a great company. It's not the right fit at this time. Want to wish you the best of luck, but we're not going to be working together right now. That doesn't feel bad. I mean, you can be disappointed. People are allowed to have their feelings, but I didn't say like, Hey, you suck. And I'm never going to hire you. I just said, it's not the right fit for us. And then we can both move along and they're not left wondering if they should follow up with me over and over again as a client.
1: Yeah. And I just, I'm, as I'm listening to him, like the, this goes across the board in every area of life. Like if we, if we kind of leave open threads with our children or our partner or our work projects or even social plans. It's just, it's the worst feeling both to to create that and to be on the receiving end of it. It's a lot better to kind of just make those decisive, clear yeses and no's.
0: Totally. And it's the same exact thing with our children. So with my two and a half year old, he's like, I want iPad time, right? I want iPad time over and over again. And if I'm like, "Mm, not right now, sweetie, maybe later ask me again. Uh, uh," like if I waver, that conversation will go forever. And instead I get down to his level and I look at him in the eye and I say, no, Mm -hmm. no is a complete sentence. No, honey, we're not doing iPad time. Well, what's going to happen? He's going to get mad. He's frustrated. And here's the rub. And I think that this is a really important thing for all of us. We are so afraid of our own pain and we're so afraid of other people's pain that we don't let them have it. Yes. And it, I don't know, if I know I almost swore, but it F's us up. Mm-hmm. And my two and a half year old is allowed to be angry and mad. There's nothing wrong with being frustrated and disappointed. And then he will scream and I'll say, I see you. You're frustrated. You're angry that you can't have the iPad. I understand. We are not having iPad time right now iPad time is over. You can play with your cars and you can play with this. And you're also allowed to be mad. And he's mad and he's mad for a couple minutes. And sometimes he cries and sometimes he comes to me for a hug. And sometimes he just wants to hit me because he's so mad, right? But he's allowed to have his feelings and I didn't do anything wrong. I set a boundary. And I think sometimes parents and sometimes for friends and sometimes in partnerships, we're afraid of other people's pain And we are afraid to set boundaries and say no. And it's okay. I like, I just, if I could sing this from the rooftops, like it's okay to say no to each other. And it's okay to have feelings. And if we just feel our feelings, they will pass and we can move on.
1: Yes. To the next feeling. (laughs) And meanwhile, with our children, help them build their, you know, their resilience and their brain development and their ability to tolerate the pains and disappointments of life. So it's it's such a gift, that clarity, that boundary, that decision-making serves them as well as us. Oh
0: my god, there was this other day we were um what he was screaming, my littlest one. He was in the in the bathroom and I forget what I had taken. I think I took a soft toy away from him because I didn't want him to put it in the bath. Like we have a rule that you can take um, waterproof toys in the bath. Go figure. We have, a, we, you're allowed to take waterproof toys in the bath but not stuffed animals. Like, uh, yes. how dare I? <laughs> yeah, um, cruel. Cruel, <laughs> cruel, terrible parent right here. But um, he, and he, and he, I took it away. I said, no, we can't, I can't let you put that in the bath. He goes, ah. And I was like, I can't let you put that in the bath. It, uh, if you put that in the bath, I'm going to take it away from you. Took it away from him. And he was screaming. And I said, I hear you. You sound really frustrated. He goes, oh no, what did I say? I said, you sound really angry. He goes, I'm not angry. I'm not sad. I'm frustrated. <laughs> <And> I about <laughs> died laughing, and I was like, "I love you. I love that you are screaming at me from the bathroom, telling me your feelings." And when I told you what you were feeling, you were like, nah, that's yes. not it. It's this one." It made me so happy. And I'm yes, like, it's I like a it. proud parenting moment. <laughs> so he knows the nuance. <laughs> yes, I just, you have this tiny child screaming at me. You have my emotion wrong, and I was like we're done here. I think we've done an okay job. Like I hope yes. you carry on. Can you please potty train yourself? Cause I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Sarah, I'm just tracking. I love so many things about you, but one of the things I'm obsessed with is like, you talk about a lot on the podcast is like your experimentation, as you mentioned, but also your, your systems. And so if I just pull a thread here from our conversation through we've talked about people taking the time to really understand what they truly want if it's if it belongs to them or someone else figuring out the true priorities and values and then this really brave courageous work of doing a lot less doing half cutting things away feeling the pain of decisions and allowing those one to two things to come forward and and after we've done all that how do we create systems or better like ways of functioning around the lives that we actually want to live?
0: Oh, I love this question. And I have to say, I also feel really humbled by this question because I, I don't know that I think in systems, but it's what everyone tells me. Okay. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So, so all my friends are like, oh, you're such a systems thinker. And I'm like, am I? No, this is just thinking. And then I, I have realized over the years that if enough people are reflecting this back to me, I trust them and I'm slowly starting to see it for myself, but it's just, I don't know where my brain did it. Um, but yeah, I really, I, and I'm, maybe I'll credit like both overthinking and anxiety too with this, mm-hmm. this now superpower, which is like, oh yes, I've overthought everything. So you don't have to, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but so thank you. That's really, that's really helpful or uh, really kind. Um, I think like how how to add systems to your life reflection would be the first place I would start it's just like okay what happened here would I change anything what could be better what really worked and then a question I adore is how can this be easier how could that be love that
1: question
0: cuz why not? Like why does it have to be complicated? Sometimes we get into habits and it's like, well, and then it has to go this way, that way, this way, that way. And and sometimes I just put it in my brain for a couple of days. I'm like, something here could be easier. How can this be easier? And I wait until my brain comes back to me with like, "Oh, here's a way." Or I talk to friends, like, "Uh, can you just look at this? How could this be easier? Like what am I missing here?" When it comes to specific systems, I I think, again, like really going up the chain and looking at like your meta decisions and your meta priorities can have so many ripple effects. Like sometimes we're caught at the bottom trying to decide what to have for dinner every night, say. And so every night at 530, it's like, oh, what should we eat? What's in the fridge? And, and then there's a lot of energy expenditure at the end of having to make what adds up to 365 decisions. Every year. When instead it's like, okay, what if I could decide that Mondays were burritos, Tuesdays were tacos, Wednesdays were, you know, uh, sheet pans, Thursdays are variable, and Fridays are pizza? Like, what if I just decided and then I never had to think about that again? What if I got my grocery list in order so it always goes out on Sunday? And, you know, that's like the more you can move up the chain. I think the simpler you can make your life. Um, Yeah. Does that answer your question?
1: Totally. And I feel like I really want to highlight this again for the listener, like no matter what the circumstances or the design of your various life parts looks like, taking that step back, that has helped me tremendously in my life of like, okay, there are these things that predictably repeat every single day or every single week. And then there are these predictable stress points. And how could we plan, strategize, like you're saying, and actually reduce some of those stress points so that we're not berating ourselves inadvertently every day at dinner, you know? Um, But it takes a moment of pause. Like, we don't all think this way naturally. Sometimes we really have to work with ourselves if it's not a inclination and Take that pause, set aside a time to reflect and actually look at the issue as opposed to just repeatedly living in the issue.
0: Yes, yes. I think the other thing to do when you go up the chain and have this time to pause and reflect is like really also ask, what can I eliminate? Like, what do I just not care about? What does society tell me to care about that I actually don't? And so, like, I'll apply this to parenting because that's my domain. That's my business. And also I've got two young ones, but in parenting, you can get bombarded with trying to care about everything. People are going to tell you that no matter what you do, you're screwing up your children and you're a terrible parent. That's like basically the message is you better worry about this or else insert fear. Like advertising is going to try to hook you everyone. And then there's so much shame around parenting. You're doing it wrong. You didn't do this right. And Ooh, that is intensely stressful. And so my husband and I, like, I really love the strategy of picking two, like pick two things you can focus on. And if it's more than that, you're not going to be able to remember. So as a parent, what do you want to hang your hat on? Is it going to be food? Is it going to be sleep? Is it going to be clothing and attire? Is it going to be like, what is it going to, what do you think you want to hang your hat on? And, and then be a C student at best. At the rest of them and i'll give you permission to be an f student like f is still 60 percent in the american education system and that is better than half and that's good enough so we picked um, sleep and books we wanted to read to our kids a lot and we really knew that everything else would break if we didn't get sleep and we looked at the research of sleep training and we were like okay there's a lot of noise out there that says this damages your kids the evidence actually says you can pick either one and you'll be fine as a parent and i was like great Some people want to co-sleep and some people want to sleep train. I'm all for whatever makes you like not unhealthy, like keeps, keeps you mentally well. And we sleep trained both our kids at three months. It was glorious. I'm so happy we did. I do wish I could cuddle more with my kids. Like I do have some snuggle regret, Um, but they took to it beautifully. And I will say, if there are parents listening to this, my sister is a single mom who lives in a studio. There's no way she could have done sleep training. She co-sleeps and loves it. So I don't want to be a part of any of the battles that are like, it, once you pick your dog, dogma, that everyone else is evil. No, they're not. Some people sleep train and some people co-sleep and like children are great. Like you, what's most important, and this is the, maybe the hat like, uh, I'll hang on to, is that the child and the parent, not just the child and not just the parent, are well taken care of. And there are some children who won't take to sleep training because they're too little. Their pediatrician doesn't recommend it, right? Like our kids were okay. They were cleared. And there are some parents that will be so mentally unwell if they don't get sleep. It's not okay, right? And there's so many conversations out there that ignore the parent or the mom in particular that break my heart. So... Anyways, I'm digging deep into a topic as an example, but we decided on sleep and we don't go to dinner events very rarely. Um, and we, like Alex and I get into bed at 8.30 or nine o'clock at night because we just, we wouldn't be able to do this if we didn't get sleep. And we basically told all our friends, we're like, hey, we can do 4 p.m. Phone, phone calls or 5.30 dinner if you come over and hang out with our kids. But like, we're never gonna see you for an 8 p.m. New York City dinner. It doesn't mean we don't love you. We just need our children to be like eight, years
1: old. <laughs> so yeah, I Sarah, I have so much respect and appreciation for what you're saying because you know, it takes courage. It takes knowing oneself and it takes a willingness to to stand apart from the crowd, potentially in one way or another, to just really root yourself in what's going to work for you, your family system, your work situation, all of that. And we are all different. And there could be so much more room for just respecting and honoring that everybody's doing the best they can. Everybody's working with a lot of different circumstances. So that's right. That's right. Yeah, and, I, and I love feeling you go deep into that topic, especially sleep training, because it's such a heated issue. But and this oh, is yeah. why I love Startup Parent, because this is what you help people do is really investigate both business and parenting and how to make it all work and how to do it differently and how to do half and It's just such a necessary body of work and I'm deeply appreciative to you for showing up for it.
0: That means so much to hear, you know, and when you're stuck in the middle of a pandemic and being like, am I doing anything? It's really, it's really kind of you to say that. So thank you.
1: Oh my gosh, you're doing a lot. (laughs) Your work (laughs) is, it's out there. So thank you for carrying the torch
0: (laughs) for everything else, by the way, like the, this is why I have the podcast is like, I will go and read about it and be like, all right, here's the TLDR. The too long didn't read. Yes. Like if you're a parent listening to this and you're like, wait, Sarah, but if I focus on sleep and then what about baby food? It's so anxiety inducing. Um, and I try to just simplify it and, and say, and like, I am not a parenting expert. I have been known to give my child a Snickers bar. Snickers have peanuts in them, right? Like take it with a grain <laughs> of salt. Um, but, but like food. Okay. I looked at, it, I, I read it and I try to simplify it and say, all right, food. We want to give them a wide variety of stuff. Starting around five or six months, but basically they have to be um, sitting up. It does not matter how you give it to them, and I do not care if you just wipe a little peanut butter on their gums and just wipe a little sesame oil. Just pick all the allergens, wipe it on their gums. You got your bases covered. Then let them figure out eating. That like I don't care if you give them purees or or baby led weaning. And I think that so many parents we just get so deep into the anxiety around I've got to do this the right way. There's not going to be a right way. You're going to do a good enough job. I guarantee you, you're going to do a good enough job. Your kid will be fine. And then just make sure they get their allergens and they touch them. And if you wake up at nine months old and you and that and you haven't given them solid food yet, and your pediatrician tells you you've done something wrong, you're still a good enough parent. Like you're like you just you were probably dealing with other things. You aren't a bad parent. You were just trying to survive and figure things out. You're doing a great job. Your kid's going to be fed now, and you're doing okay. And I just like with my full heart wish that people were kinder to parents and like tell them that they're doing like you all, if you're a parent out there or you have a friend that's a parent, oh my God, I'm going to cry when I'm saying this. Just go tell them repeatedly that they're doing a good enough job because all of the advice out there on the internet about business and parenting, it's all in some mythical laboratory where like you could be perfect. Nobody's perfect. You are trying to do 17 things at once. And if you only got one social media post every month, that's because that's all you could do. Not because you're a dumb person or a failure because you're doing a good enough job.
1: I feel like I could just put you on record, repeat record (laughs) and I could just play that to myself, you know, really. And I just want to be transparent. You know, I'm, I'm a therapist and I'm a mother and I have never been, challenge brought to my knees to the to the extent that I have been since becoming a mother because the amount of messaging, the amount, the amount of pressure, especially being like a good girl, having a perfectionist streak in me, it's so confronting to be a parent and feel so responsible and your message around like good enough and in even pointing to the research, just, you know, curating it for us that like we don't there's so much that we can do and still have incredibly resilient beautiful healthy human beings in our family.
0: Yes, and 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 we can do let's say in this mythical world of perfection mm-hmm. you do everything right. You still yeah. your kid can still like have their own child, like you yes. it, I think it's also related to control, right? Like we desperately want to be able to control the outcomes and with children we just cannot. And so all we can do is a good enough job. And a good enough job for me includes like hey I need you to watch iPads now because I'm tired and I need to sit down and watch Survivor. Like we're all gonna watch TV right now separately and I would prefer if you didn't talk to me. I think that's a reasonable thing to say to my now five-year-old and be like, mom needs a break for 30 minutes and she's gonna watch crappy TV with her headphones in. But if you really need me, come get me. Like I'm not a bad parent, I'm a human
1: being. Hallelujah, (laughs) yeah, totally. Oh my God, Sarah. Okay, do you have a moment for a rapid fire round or do you have to go?
0: Sure. No, give it to me. And then I have to, I'm getting my haircut in 20 minutes. I have to leave for my haircut. Okay.
1: All right. I just, <laughs> while I have you, I'm like, it's so incredible to talk to you. So I just got to milk it for everything we've got. Okay. <laughs> do it. Do okay. it. Okay. 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 What do you wish more people understood about business? Mm. Um,
0: you can't do everything. Focus, validate, validate your concept or idea. Do it as quickly as possible and if you are just thinking about starting a business keep your day job don't quit your day job try it on the side okay that I'll stop there beautiful
1: what do you wish more people understood about parenting
0: there's no such thing as a maternal instinct that's a lie damn to go deep on that one <laughs>
1: I'm like, we need a whole other episode on that with you. Okay, I'll give you the,
0: I'll give you the, the, the quick version. Um, An instinct is a biological thing that's wired in you from the beginning. It is defined and clear, like in ducks and imprinting, things like that. It is not true in humans. Humans are wired to learn. And if we don't have access to the knowledge, we don't learn. And so to tell a mother that she's supposed to somehow download an instantaneous hard drive of information when she has a child that she doesn't have access to is cruel. Instead, we learn. And so mothers need to be surrounded by other people. Same with dads. The reason dads don't know how to change diapers is because they haven't done it and learned how to do it. The best way to learn how to change a diaper is to do it 50 times. You will learn over time. But to be told that you're supposed to just intuitively and instinctively know everything is um, is unnaturally cruel to new mothers, in my opinion.
1: Mm, so true. Okay, last one. As women, as we are regrouping, reshaping work, family, self, as we move forward, you know, through and out of this pandemic, what do you recommend we pay most attention to?
0: Hmm. Don't pretend to do it alone. Don't try to do it alone. Like really, shore up your systems of support and your communities of support. I think. Um, I think being so fractured and so divided, in as much as we live in single-family homes, we don't live in multi-generational housing. Um, this is, you know, different depending on class and race and income and all different things. But the more that you can build your network and focus less on maximizing your your top dollar, but more on maximizing your community, I think the further we can go collectively.
1: Mm. Beautiful, I'm taking that in so deep right now. Wow, Sarah, thank you. I feel so full. I've got got to re-listen to this now like three times to make sure I, I receive all of the wisdom you just dropped for us today. And I will make sure to have all the links to your incredible work, your podcast. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the work you do. And thank you for showing up in all of the ways that you do.
0: Thanks for having me. And thanks for asking me such big questions and like going on all of these journeys with me because I swear I sometimes wake up and I'm like, I don't know where my brain goes and I don't know if I can make words. And this feels like a real treat. It feels like, oh, I think we said some good things together on this podcast. (laughs) yes so thank you it's really it's because you asked such big and great
1: questions so thanks for doing that oh it's i feel so gifted i hope you have an amazing haircut
0: <laughs> <laughs> i currently have a mullet right now like i'm growing out the back so i gotta i, I i've been rocking a short haircut so now i gotta yeah. go
1: COVID get it all trimmed up <laughs> for the win <laughs> okay thank you so much and take wonderful care Thank you so much for listening to the women today podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and take a moment to leave a rating and a review. The more five-star ratings this podcast gets, the more easily women around the world will be able to access this valuable information. Remember we each have our unique role to play in this collective uprising for women all over the world whoever you are, and wherever you find yourself in this moment, there is a deep intelligence to your particular place in the wider web, and we need the specific experiences, insights, and gifts that only you carry. I am sending you my heartfelt strength and support for wherever you are on the journey, and I'll look forward to connecting again next week.